you all, so this goes to you and to the team for all the hard work we put in day in and day out. <laughs> we about to get it in, baby. Let's get it. Welcome to Our Kind of Pod, a special UW football-themed episode of the Boyd Meets World podcast. I'm your host, uh, Brandon Boyd. I'll be solo this week, no Michael Stanton, that's all right. Uh, still still no feud, to, a big feud to worry about between he and I, just the normal, you know, hating each other stuff. Uh, but joining me this week in a little bit here will be Griffin Hitzel, who is uh, a good friend of mine, uh, fellow uh, UW enthusiast, um, former USC Trojan. We'll get to his his uh, his origin story for becoming a dog fan. He's from from SoCal. Uh, I think was a lifelong Troy guy until he got up to Seattle and, and found the light. Uh, but he'll come on talk to us about the state of the USC program in just a little bit. Looking forward to that. Uh, but I will be going off the cuff here with a monologue, so um, this might be a, a one-take situation and might lead to some uh, some gaffes, but oh well. Um, let's talk about UW, because that uh, that BYU game was, was real nice. I think it was exactly what this team needed, um, a full, complete game, lots of explosive plays on every side of the ball. Um, you had <laughs> Jacob Eason just continuing this lightning strike, um, I hate to use the word lightning on this podcast, but... Uh, lightning strike offense where he can hit anybody anywhere uh, with his arm. Uh, receiver stepped up, much less of a concern with the drop passes as there was in the Cal game. Um, and then defensively, had much more big plays. You had a couple sacks from Benning Potoai. Uh, Ryan Bowman got home, leading to the Brandon Wellington scoop and score, which I was totally saying, Brandon Wellington, why are you not falling on that ball? But glad he uh, glad he picked that one up. Um, and then Aaron Fuller finally breaking free, uh, paying his homage to his his uh, father, Dante Pettis, I think, <laughs> uh, for finally returning a punt uh, for a touchdown. Let's talk about a couple of E words for this little riff here. The first one being Jacob Eason. Um, as you know, in this podcast, we usually start with the quarterback. Why it be any different here? Uh, but just a quick one on Eason. His yards per attempt so far are 8.9. Uh Jake Browning's insane 2016, where seemingly every ball was a completed deep pass to Dante Pettis or, or John Ross, uh, that year was 8.8 for, for Browning. So we'll see how the full season shakes out with Eason, but it, it could be even better than it is right now, uh, just in terms of his ability to get the ball downfield. Um, having this entire receiving core healthy, uh, you're kind of seeing it round into form of Bacellia, Fuller, and Bryant are your are your three big guys, but good to see Kate Otten get involved uh, in the past game. Um, as uh, we're big fans of his his dirty work on this podcast, but seeing him get the ball downfield was great. Uh, he's due for a touchdown anytime now. Uh, talking more about explosion here after the uh, the uh, the Cal game, uh, Stan and I kind of ripped into Bush Hamden for uh, the lack of explosion that this this offense had, um, just in terms of a scheme perspective, um, that they weren't really doing much to generate big plays on offense. And a lot of that may have been their um, tepidness against the Cal defense, who, as we've seen, has really held up against just about everybody um, across the country uh, as that thing traveled to, to Oxford this week and got it done. Uh, but anyways, after the Cal game, UW was 90th in yards per play against D1 opponents at uh, .237 um, yards per play or yards per or points per yard points per play. I'm so sorry. Points per play. Um, up to 0.569 yards or points per play, 15th in the country right now. Um, so much, much better, uh, more than doubled that, uh, even including the Cal game uh, for where that, that offense is right now, um, is, is where we'd like it to be much more aggressive. Um, 
And in that US that BYU game, it seemed like the Huskies could just do whatever they wanted offensively. And that's without Savan Ahmed um, giving him uh, a breather because of, of taking care of his his uh, medical issues um, and getting Sean McGrew in there, uh, getting Richard Newton in there, having kind of no no con- no uh, real drop off in talent uh, in that backfield, uh, but just kind of the way they use Savon Ahmed is almost icing on the cake for that running game the way it's set up right now. I don't think McGrew and Newton are going to hold up against every team in the country. You'll want that full backfield there, but uh, it's good to know that you can take one of those guys out of the, the backfield and still still make it work. Um, so props to Sean McGrew and Richard Newton for getting it done in that way. Um, good to see Ahmed come back either this week or in a couple weeks uh, to kind of stretch the field more horizontally um, when he's in, in the game. Talked about Easton, we talked about Explosion. Uh, continuing the E theme here with efficiency. ESPN has an efficiency metric, um, how, how much each unit contributes to scoring on a per play basis. So how much does your offense contribute to scoring, your defense contribute to, to holding teams, uh, and then your special teams contribute to adding points uh, or not giving up points. One team in the country, just one, has a rating of 70 or above. Um, this is a, a zero to 100 metric for, from ESPN here. Uh, one team as a country with a rating of 70 or above in offensive, defensive, and special teams efficiency. One. You can guess who it is. Chris Peterson does it again with the uh, the well-oiled machine. That would be the Washington Huskies, the only team in the country um, to be above a 70 in uh, in all three facets of the game. It doesn't really mean a ton because Alabama is like a 95 in offense and defense, and just their special teams is, is just kind of whatever. It's like a, a 20. Um I don't know. You probably take the Alabama situation, but uh, good to know that this team does not have a concernable gap um, in in one of those areas of the ball as they have the last few years. UW is up to 12th in special teams efficiency this year. We talked about uh, their punting prowess a little bit last week, um, but the kicking game continues to work well, save for the uh, the botched um, fake field goal yet, or Saturday against BYU. But anyways, UW is 12th in special teams efficiency, 104th last year um obviously a, a game in which you have uh, a couple converted field goals and you uh have a 88 yard punt return touchdown uh is going to help that number a lot um but i'll take not being a hundredth or worse in something uh for, for 700 please alex um that's a 30 the fourth one is electricity and uh moral there being fuck lightning because uh, it really seems that if that was a normal cal game uh, the Huskies would be sitting here at 4-0 instead of at 3-1 with that blemish on their resume. Uh, but we're finding out that Cal is is, is, a, is a real thing. Um, like I said, they took it to Oxford, absolving the conference of those uh, those Auburn losses, as we talked about last week. So well done on their part um, for completely cleaning the slate there. Uh, no SEC problems for the Pac-12 whatsoever. Thank you, Cal. Um, and also just adding some, some legitimacy kindling uh, to their whole thing that they've got going on there. Big test for them this week uh, against Arizona State there on Friday night. But as far as electricity that's not related to the things that come out of the sky, uh, I would say that there's a palpable buzz uh, around this team heading into this USC game, and not just because I'm coming. That is certainly part of it, the hype train, the media train. Uh, I can't believe they're having an Adidas launch party for me. Crazy. Um, but I was just talking to my dad about this uh, a little bit ago. Shouts out, Dad. Um, this team is not as good as it was in 2016. That team was was littered with talent everywhere. Um, that 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 team will populate NFL rosters for the next five to ten years. Um, not sure that that's necessarily the case with this team, especially on defense. However, 
I think eh, it's hard to say. <laughs> I'm, I'm a prisoner of the moment. But I'm just as interested in watching this team, despite its flaws, as I was that 26 team, which was so dominant. Um, but just the way that this team can move the ball downfield is is similar to to that 2016 team. And this defense, for all its faults, I can see it rounding into form. Uh, the, the 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 thing about this defense is that you you have to give reps to guys like Trent McDuffie. Um, you know, to, to to the young guys to really get them on, and that's going to come with some lumps the Joe Tryons of the world. But those lumps are going to really work out, I think, by the end of the season. And you're already seeing it with McDuffie not being able to get on the field against Eastern to where he is now, where he's coming off the big fumble. By the way, Trent McDuffie, uh, Marcus Peters' clone, and it's not helpful that he's wearing number 22, but has the same like cephalopod arm thing going on, uh, same physicality. So uh, great to see him get a big play. Uh, they're going to be BYU. Good for Ace Turner to get a pick. Um, but this team, I just think we talked about it well before this season started that because it's not as airtight on defense, it's going to give up yards, but these guys are also going to make some big plays because this is a very athletic defense. Um, it's, it's going to get bent a little bit. Um, but because of that, you're going to see other teams test them more. Um, and also that could lead to more interceptions and, and turnovers down the field. Um, this game against USC, looking forward to how this defense holds up. This will be a, a rather large challenge. Um, USC has every reason for what they have um, in terms of personnel with their receivers, with Michael Pittman Jr. Um, and crew there, Tyler Vaughn's. Um, they, those guys are, speaking of NFL roster population, um, they are going to, uh, they're, they're an extremely talented bunch, and they have every reason USC does to try and attack this team on the sidelines, given what we've seen the last couple weeks with Keith Taylor really struggling um, in that game. They put him on Matt Bushman. Uh, I don't know who told you uh, <laughs> that Matt Bushman was going to be a problem for BYU. That was your boy. Um, that was absolutely the case. Uh, Keith Taylor struggled to, to, to hold on to the ball, got called for a couple pass interference plays. Um, they're going to go right at him as they should. Same thing with, um, with McDuffie. Uh, that's a new guy down there. Um, and with Kyler Gordon as well. So they have, uh, it'll be interesting to see how aggressive USC is because they were anything but that um, against BYU. And then once Matt Fink came in against Utah, it was just kind of a chuck it offense, uh, which really ended up working for them. But uh, we will see how that looks. I will say though, that with the deep passing game that USC should employ and has the ability to with, with those guys that they have out wide, uh, thing about deep passing is that it takes a little bit uh, to get to develop, and that's something that was a product of of how teams played Washington in the last couple of years, is that you th you had these very, you know, quick hitting pass um, pass attacks that would be successful on just moving the chains, getting it over on third and four, getting it to third and four was kind of the uh, the, the the mentality that teams had. Thinking back to how ASU beat us a couple of years ago, um, this thing that USC is going to going to use. Um, it's going to take a little bit more time to develop. And not having Joe Tryon in that first half um, due to the targeting call is is unfortunate, um, but it's up to guys like him in the second half, Ariel Nada, uh, Ryan Bowman, Benning Potowai. If they can get home um, for a time or two in that first half and really put USC behind the chains, 
uh, it'll be uh, much easier, I think, for for the Huskies to pin their ears back and and um, and defend this team when when they have their in second and nineteen, um, third and twenty two type situations because of those types of plays, um, especially getting after Matt Fink, who will be making just his second career start um, against you against the Huskies on Saturday, barring. Um, Barring a, a concussion protocol uh, issue, they're uh, getting the the normal backup, um, Keaton Slovis, back into the game. So I'm stoked. Um, I uh, I'll be out by the rock wall on Saturday for the the beta tailgate. Shouts out Andy Palmer for putting on uh, that uh, that spectacle each and every week. Uh, if you see me, please 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 come by. I will drink whatever you put in front front of me. That's an unfortunate uh, flaw of mine. Um, so I would love to see you all um, out there. Hit me up. And uh, before I sign off on my own here and we get to Hitzel, you didn't think I was going to ignore the Wazoo game, did you? Um, first of all, props to UCLA. Um, they were uh, a sneaky, interesting team to to stand an eye before the season because they have a lot of pieces. And uh, I think everyone who's watched this, this conference uh, over the last decade or so should have respect for Chip Kelly uh, and know that he is capable of, of, um, of some great things. We just hadn't seen it quite yet. Uh, but I will say they looked absolutely listless against Cincinnati uh, and Oklahoma uh, just proved that they did not belong on the same field as them in the Rose Bowl. Um, so there was not a whole lot of reason to expect great things coming out of UCLA. Um, and that goes for the internal as well. I mean, those players could feel the exact same way and they could have easily given up and not uh, you know, seen the, the, the deficit early in that, that Wazoo game and stopped competing as hard as they did. Um, but the UCLA energy, especially, or even when they were down 32 in that third quarter, um, was really palpable. Uh, you could see them them reacting to big plays, um, playing very hard, and that is the only way you can come back in a game like that is, is through effort. Uh, Dorian Thompson-Robinson, the guy, like I said, Cincinnati, awful, couldn't hold on to the ball, looked like he had these tiny hands from the Burger King commercial a long time ago, and... Uh, it uh, he was he was just uh, incapable of 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 holding onto the ball and, and managing an offense. Uh, he was everything but that in the Wazoo game. Just completely in command mode, hitting guys downfield, um, running for big plays. Just looked like the type of guy who could be an absolute problem um, for UCLA. So I'm really happy for that uh, that program because I think their their dismay is not good for the conference. All right, let's let's stop lauding UCLA and just get to the the majesty of, of what what happened. So for a long time, because of the way that game ended, my own travel schedule this week, that game was a was just a, a box score. I knew the final score. I knew the thirty two point comeback. Um, I knew that there was nine touchdowns from Anthony Gordon on Wazoo, um, but I actually went back and watched uh, a condensed version of the game, and there were a lot of really really astounding things in that game. Um, the chaos potential was astronomical early, um, given that the first drive started with a pick, um, and then you had uh, UCLA coming down and scoring, and then turnover after turnover after turnover. So this this had the uh, the full um, Pac-12 after dark expansion pack <laughs> plugged into the neck of this game. Um, end of the first half, ending on a successful Hail Mary from UCLA that got stopped at the one. Uh, should have told us about some some of the strange juju afoot. I also am totally of the belief that the game's play-by-play uh, person has a lot of power over the uh, the the magic or the the sorcery of a game. Beth Mowens from ESPN was on point throughout the game. She was totally ready. Uh, had her coffee before that game started. 
um, and ready to make that game uh, a fun one for for the viewers. Uh, the Gus Johnson effect. Wazoo has the ball with uh, with 235 left in the game and a, a full set of downs because UCLA had just turned it over on downs instead of kicking a field goal to tie it um, towards the end of that game, which was a really astounding decision. And, you know, Chip Kelly, stay in Chip Kelly, uh, be aggressive, try and win that game. But anyways, Wazoo has the ball. 235 left, it's first and 15. And those boys, what do they do with the opportunity to uh, to run the game, you know, run the clock out at the very least, make UCLA use their timeouts? Mike Leach, stay radical, brother. Throws out to the flats, uh, much to Beth Moens and everybody who's watching, surprised that they that they chose to throw the ball in that situation. Uh, but Mike Leach just can't help himself. It's a completed pass out to Aesop Winston. Uh, Winston fumbles um, in a kind of a spectacular way, almost through his legs. Uh, after a, a successful strip attempt by a UCLA defender. Um, that right there, I just, I can't give a lot of sympathy for. Max Borgie is a walking nine-yard gain at this point um, for the way Wazoo plays, where they spread you out so much. Borgie is so, Borgie's going to be great. He's going to love the NFL, where they actually uh, know how to use him uh, and get him the ball in the backfield. Um, so... I, I just I, I don't understand that at all. I know that for for Wazoo, a, a pass out to the flat is as good as a a run in terms of just the completion. You have the ball, no incomplete pass. It's not giving stopping the clock. I understand that, uh, but there's just some times when you've got to change your game plan a little bit, uh, and that would have been one of them, especially in a game like that where you just like honestly taking a knee would have been the best move in that case because uh, there was there was some weird stuff afoot there. Anyways, uh, UCLA scores to go up, and then Wazoo still has the ball back. And I think anyone in that stadium would have fully expected Wazoo to score there um, at that point to end that game just because of how, how it had gone and how that was essentially basketball on grass at that point. Uh, but anyways, Anthony Gordon, the Wazoo quarterback, just gets absolutely mauled, gets caught flat-footed in the, in the, the backfield. Uh, very Luke Falk-esque there. Uh, fumbles to give UCLA the ball back, and there's just this ghastly shriek on the broadcast from someone in the audience uh, there at uh, at Martin Stadium. Um, totally justified noise because that person had just realized all the other things they could have been doing with their life, uh, except from that, um, and seeing that whole thing just come collapsing right there in that moment uh, would have been pretty horrifying if you're in that stadium or especially watching on TV um, if you are a Coug fan. Um, so not that I have a ton of sympathy for Krug fans, but hey, at least it wasn't snowing, right? Because uh, anyways, this game was a Jenga tower. You know, when you play Jenga and there's the, there's kind of a, a natural order to things in Jenga. You know, here's the pieces you go after. You want to keep the tower as, as clean as possible, poke out the middles, um, you know, find some inefficiency here and there. But every once in a while, someone that you're playing Jenga with will just go Leroy Jenkins and start to move pieces and... All of a sudden, the tower just—you're looking at it, and you're like, "How is this? How is this thing still standing?" And you have no idea how long this thing's gonna go. That's how I felt um, watching those highlights of just what a calamity that game had: uh, punt returns, um, fumbles, long passes, everything you wanted, broken tackles, whatever you wanted in that game uh, was there. It was—it was truly a sight to see, and honestly. Not the worst thing for the Pac-12, that uh, there's just reason to talk about that, um, especially if this whole thing from Wazoo still stays, they, they're still a great offense, uh, and then UCLA is somehow rejuvenated from this. 
unless you're a Kook fan, I think this is actually a win for the conference. Um, but we'll see how that goes with, uh, with Utah and Wazoo uh, this weekend. It was really fun, and I'm sorry, Kook fans, for, for that, uh, that thing happening to you. But uh, at least Gardner Minshew was there to, to console you all and, and pat you on the back as, as, uh, as, as someone puked in your dinner that night. Um, yeah, Pac-12, stay Pac-12. And Mike Leach, never change. Um, yeah, what a conference. Fun one so far. We'll, uh, we'll be back normally next week with, uh, with the normal Stanton and B-Boy chatter. Uh, but uh, we'll turn it over to Hitzel for some USC talk. Cool. All right. Well, I'm here with uh, Griffin Hitzel, who is the uh, the man on the ground. Uh, you're you're a mole from uh, from Southern California, uh, up here to inform the public on uh, on the, the inner workings inner workings of the USC program. Uh, we appreciate your your hard work there. Yeah, you know, uh, happy to provide my two cents, and uh, you know, excited for the game this week. Looking forward to it. Yeah, it's gonna be a good one. Um, I I wanted to to spend the first part of this. You know how in every superhero movie, the first like twenty minutes are are explaining how the the person got their powers. Um, I'd like to do that with with you. How you you finally saw the light and became a UW fan after being full uh, full Troy for for most of your life. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, grew up there in the heartland of Southern California, just uh, a stone's throw from the Coliseum, and. Grew up going to pretty much every game with my dad, who is a uh, Trojan alumni. But, you know, moved up here to go to school in uh, 2013 and, and quickly converted. Was, you know, more than happy to jump off that Trojan bandwagon and looking back on it. Uh, you know, outside of SC's Rose Bowl win a couple years ago, I think it's uh, I think it's worked out OK for me. When was the moment you turned internally and stopped rooting for them? Like, like because you were you were there for the. What would that have been the 2015 Friday night game in the Coliseum, the, the Miles Gaskin breakout game? Yeah, I was there. Uh, you know, I think the turning point was a little sooner than that for me. I think uh, it really hit me. My first game as a student against Boise State, uh, the retake Montlake season. Uh-huh. Um, that, you know, I, you know, I kind of, as soon as I stepped foot in the stadium about three hours early to, to hold the seats for all the beta <laughs> actives, I, uh, on a beautiful late August day, I kind of realized, you know, there's, uh, the grass may be greener on the other side here at, uh, in Washington. And that was Sark's last year and, you know, seven wins Steve put together a decent season, uh, in 2013 there. But then with, when, uh, when coach Pete came to town the following season, I, uh, I was really fully on board. Were you there with me for the, uh, the at Stanford game that year? No, I did not make that trip. I was uh, I was back and forth, but uh, did not end up making it. But I, I remember that game, and uh, I really wish I had been there, man. That was that was an incredible game. Yeah, that was an all time gut punch uh, there for sure. But uh, anyways, let's let's talk about this USC season. It's been a weird one, and I'm sure you can agree. It, it's felt like five different like perspectives on USC football from before the season, where it's like, how does Clay Helton have a job? To uh, they win against Fresno, but then, damn, you lost JT Daniels. And then the whole, wow, we beat Stanford. And then it's like, well, Stanford sucks. And the, just the, the absolute turd in the punch bowl against BYU. Uh, and then the now we have the Matt Fink is capable of beating Utah era. So it's it's been an absolute roller coaster, all, uh, all leading in USC being ranked 21st, which I think is 
probably a good outcome, but how weird does it feel for you just going through all those ebbs and flows at USC football over the last, it's like literally just one month? Yeah, you know, I mean, it really feels like each game is almost its its own season, right? You start off with game one, all the turmoil surrounding Helton, you know, bringing in uh, Graham Harrell to run, come in and run the air raid. Uh, and then you get about a quarter and a half into the game and your, uh, your chosen savior quarterback, JT Daniels, goes down for the season with a knee injury and in steps this uh, true freshman who means had a couple more experienced guys for the backup job. And everybody's like, all right, well, we squeaked out a win here, and uh, and now we gotta we got to roll with a true freshman quarterback with a coach on the hot seat for the rest of the season. And so, you know, a lot of uncertainty going into that Stanford game, and then they just kind of they took it to them. They, uh, they punched them in the mouth. Slovis looked really good throwing the ball, and, you know, people started going, who's who JT Daniels again? You know, uh, quickly, quickly forgot about the young fella. So, and then you get into the following week, you know, going into that BYU game, Lynn Swan, uh, quote unquote, <laughs> retires at the beginning of the week, which uh, I think everybody can agree that was uh, that was not a retirement, but a, uh, a way to not uh, take away the glory from a former Trojan. But, uh, you know, they come come back down to earth, you go on the road to a, to a tough BYU uh, road environment. They played good defense and, uh, snuck out a win against SC and, and Slovis was really, you know, frustrating that game. He threw three picks, really didn't look all that sharp. And the call for Clay's heads come right back around, right? It's, it's literally going week to week with this guy. And then, uh, you know, I think a lot of the momentum they lost after that BYU loss. And, and we're looking at this Friday night Utah game that uh, I think a lot of people have thought was for the South going, well, what is uh, what are we going to look like here? You know, we've kind of seen the highs with uh, Slovis against Stanford, and then the lows against BYU and losing that game. So, you know, they go into that Utah game, and Slovis goes down on the second offensive play of the game for them, and in comes the third stringer who had uh, sniffed around, had almost uh, signed with Illinois as a transfer in the offseason, but was uh, was convinced to come back, and he comes in and he ends up throwing for. 350 yards and three touchdowns on the way to beating a, uh, a top 10 Utah team in the Coliseum. So we really don't know who this SC team is, right? Yeah. It, it feels like it's a new season every week with them. Yeah, Matt Fink uh, did a smart thing and realized that his best shot is to throw it up for the big fellas uh, down the field. And uh, at a certain point with this USC team, I feel like you just got to start relying on where the where the all NFL talent is, and it's it's out wide with this team. Uh, jumping ahead a little bit here, but could you rank Vaughn's Pittman and and uh, Monroe St. Brown uh, among all time USC receivers? Because I think all three of them, if they had all played in their own silos without each other could have a case of being top five guys if, if, uh, if, if they had gotten the chance. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, I think it's really hard to say, I mean, you know, looking at the lineage of, of receivers that have come out of SC, um, you know, over, over the you know, last 30, 40, 50 years, you know, from Lynn Swan to Keyshawn Johnson, uh, to Mike Williams of uh, brief Seahawks fame, <laughs> Dwayne Jarrett. I mean, it's, you know, it's hard. Robert Woods, Marquise Lee, uh, more recently. Um, and you know, it's hard to say, especially given that the stark differences in offenses that these guys have played in, but I think they've got a chance at least statistically to end up there, uh, pretty high up on the board. But you know, with, even with a guy like Amon Ra, who's 
still pretty early in his career. He's shown uh, shown some serious promise that uh, he could be an all-time great there. How dare you forget uh, Steve Smith and Kerry Colbert in that list? But yeah, it's it's uh, a. <laughs> I, I, we could go on for hours about it. It really could. Yeah, it's it's a, it's an impressive list, but all three of those guys, at least physically, have have the chops, and it's kind of a week-to-week of who shows up. It was Pittman big time against Utah, but uh, but Vaughn's has had his moments as well. Uh, all right, let's go backwards here. It seemed to me that, that uh, the UCLA loss last year was kind of the perfect moment to call it with, with Clay Helton if there ever was a time. How did he survive that and, like you said, just this week-to-week you know, turmoil of, of is he the guy? Yeah, you know, it's he is in an interesting situation now. With Lin Swan was, you know, preaching the patience with Clay. You know, this guy just a couple seasons ago led us to a Rose Bowl. Let's give him some time. Uh, he's got a decent quarterback. You know, let's uh, let let him bring in the offensive system. See what happens. Um, but now with Lin Swan, is you know really his biggest proponent gone. It's it's hard to say. Uh, you know, it could be as bad as a, you know a bad blowout up here at UW this week and a bad loss at Notre Dame next week. And, you know, that could be it for him. But you also look at uh, the other pro- other factors within the uh, with within the school there. And, there, you know, there's no permanent AD in place. And who's really, you know, is somebody, are they going to allow the uh, interim AD make a call like that? You know, do, do they let them play out the season, figure out a new uh, AD and let that person go from there? So, you know, it, it's it's really hard to say, especially with the South really being a toss up again. He could win, you know, he could easily win that division with with eight wins or nine wins, you know. So it, it's really hard to put a pin on, you know, what will be the turning point for him to get fired. So there's there's part of it. There's the on field product, but then the thing with USC that that can help coaches keep their job is is the recruiting aspect of it. And with SC now. Uh, just there's just the the one um, instance of it here, but there's been plenty of others where there's just this talent drain that's starting to slowly hit the the Southern California um, recruiting scene, um, crystallized in this Bryce Young guy who matter day quarterback um, who's a five star kid, best in the country, going to Alabama instead of USC. Talk to us about how big of a deal that is. You know, I mean, it is a big deal, right? And uh, especially for a quarterback coming from uh, an Orange County powerhouse like Modern Day, that's typically been a sure thing USC. You know, you look at Mark Sanchez and Carson Palmer uh, from Santa Margarita and Mission Viejo, respectively, Matt Leinert from Modern Day, uh, more recently JT Daniels out of Modern Day. You know, it's especially from that modern day program, if you're a top recruit, you're going to SC. But I think if you look at the last couple of years, you start to see this trend of where guys are, it's not such a sure thing anymore. And often you're seeing them eliminate, you know, the, the hometown schools, SC and UCLA early in the recruiting process. And I think guys are starting to see, starting to have that perception problem with the PAC 12 that a lot of us fancy, right. That it's, that it's not a very strong conference overall. And the uh, the teams out east they're starting to see this and you know typically ten years ago they really wouldn't have come and even tried to recruit these guys on the west coast they're seeing that uh, that inroads can be made here and that they can come in and start plucking guys I mean case case in point being uh, DJ Ugalele I believe I'm saying that correctly uh, <laughs> from St John Bosco 
you know, is going to Clemson and you're starting to see these guys go, you know, I want to go play against the best and, uh, and practice against the best guys every day. And that's going to give me the best shot to make it to the NFL. And they see that not being in the PAC 12, frankly. So, um, but you're seeing, you know, Oregon and UW, especially making some as West coast teams, making significant inroads, uh, into the Southern California pipeline, uh, most evidenced by UW coming in, taking Miles Morales straight out uh, from under SC's nose there at Modern Day, which uh, I'm sure you remember the text that I sent you on the Fourth of July after a uh, after a couple of cold beers. And but I mean that was that's a pretty pretty significant uh, pretty significant move there because that's not something that you would have seen even five years ago. Yeah, that uh, that text should be framed in the uh, the UW football offices. Uh, I don't have the the exact verbiage, but something along the lines of, uh, if you're if you're if you're a modern day kid, you go to USC. Plain and simple, if you're if you're at that level of, of recruits, and for him to him to Miles the center coming up to to UW there um, is a sign of of the the UW program is starting to catch some more kids' ears down there. Um, and you'd hope that everything can kind of stay within the Pac-12 ecosystem. But like you said, these existential threats of the Clemsons and Alabamas, uh, if you're worried about those two teams kind of ruining college football because they've got everybody, uh, well, they've had everybody for a while, and that's without recruiting the West Coast. So um, if those two if those two programs and others start to be able to pluck from out here as well as they, they could in theory, uh, it could get even worse for this conference. Oh, definitely. And now, definitely. now it's looking more like the the Mountain West than the you know the Pac-12 of of yesteryear. <laughs> um, so I expected Graham Harrell coming in here as as offensive coordinator. Totally forgot as you were talking there about the whole Cliff Kingsbury shuffle um, and how he he just used uh, used SC to to get another job there. Uh, but anyways, the second uh, former Texas Tech quarterback product to become OC in in uh, in, in USC. In Harrell, I expected him to come in and do exactly what we said Matt Fink did of just see those receivers and say, okay, let's let's lean on this. Uh, but even kind of week to week, you don't know what this SC team is, especially with the offense uh, against BYU is a much more balanced attack. And then against against Utah, it's really air it out because you got Fink in there. Uh, I expected Harold to just be total air raid guy, but it doesn't really seem to be that. If In a perfect world, what does this SC offense want to do and how do they want to beat you? Yeah, I mean, I, I think you, you kind of hit the nail on the head there that, you know, when you hear the air raid, you think they just want to go and, you know, throw the ball 45, 50 times a game. But, uh, you know, I took, a, I took a couple minutes to circle up with a uh, guy who knows a lot about college football, Max Brown, uh, former and, uh, Trojan and pick quarterback. And, you know, to kind of get his two cents, uh, he's, he's more of an offensive guy than, uh, than I am and obviously knows a little bit, little bit more about the X's and O's of the game than I do. Um, but he's, you know, he's very complimentary of, of what Harold's done, at least being uh, willing to adjust his game plan to kind of what the defense gives him. Against Stanford, uh, they were playing a lot of man-to-man, uh, you know, true freshmen's first start, let's pack the box and, uh, and force them to, to try to slice and dice us rather than let them run on us. And uh, that's exactly, exactly what Slovis did. He sliced and diced them. Uh, but then you get to BYU and, you know, something that might look, familiar to you dub fans and played a lot of zone coverage dropping eight guys in the box which we've done the last few seasons against wazoo with uh i'd say pretty good success <laughs> and they were okay given letting sc run the ball as long as you're limited to big plays uh 
Max gave me a number here. They had 170 yards on the ground, but really nothing, you know, over eight to 10 yards. No, no big hitters, momentum shifter, shifters, that kind of, you know, game breaking run. Sure. Uh, and then you get to Utah and they, uh, they kind of mix it up, right? Utah believes in their, their guys in the back end. There's uh, multiple NFL caliber players back there. But uh, they kind of mix it up with a with a blend of zone and man. But when they uh, when they did the man on the outside, SC really made them pay for it. And you know that's Pittman and Bonds and and St. Brown, uh, you know, really stepping up there. So you know, I'll be really curious to see how UW attacks it defensively. I think uh, you know they go and look at a lot of their film against Wazoo. You know, dropping a two men, two men with hands on the ground and uh, you know let's let them try try to beat us on the ground as opposed to giving up anything uh, deep over the top, keep it all in front of you. And uh, and when you throw the ball 45 or 50 times a game, you're bound to make a few mistakes. And, you know, we've seen that in the last few Apple Cups with, uh, with multiple interceptions. So I'm really excited for this matchup. It's, uh, you know, I think there's a lot of buzz up here in Seattle. People are, uh, are really excited. We don't really know what FC team we're going to get. Uh, it sounds like Slovis may not be playing, and so throwing Fink into a uh, into an awful environment like Husky Stadium after the fans have been uh, been up early and drinking for a few hours, uh, you know, I think it's going to be tough. And I think SC's been a different team on the road uh, this year and years past, and they've been at home. So uh, I'm really excited for Saturday. Yeah, you said it there, and and even even against Hawaii, which is blatantly going to you know they want to end up with with 50 throws at the end of that game. Um, P- Peterson said over and over that it still starts with stopping the run because if you can just take that part of it out, then it's pretty easy to play straight up against them. So can you, can you, despite having eight guys in coverage, still take uh, take the run away? And I think that that's that's a key point with SC because even if that run game isn't successful, you still have some thumpers back there who can break tackles. Um, Stefan Carr is still not a guy that I I, I would want to be uh, tackling if I'm UW's linebackers. So. Um, it'll be interesting to see if if SC is able to have any success on the ground because that'll make everything else uh, work easy for them. 2016 reminds me a lot of of this in that uh, USC came into UW. Obviously, Sam Darnold versus Matt Fink is is quite the gulp or <laughs> gulp uh, gulf between those two guys in, in terms of talent. Uh, but in that game, it wasn't. I mean, Darnold was was solid. He still had a couple turnovers in that game, but it was really USC's talent on defense that I think stood out um, in that game. That was a similar game. SC was a eight-point underdog on the road. How does that? How does this feel in terms of like eerily similar to that game where SC came into into Husky Stadium and, and really put the silencer on the dogs? Yeah, you know, I, it, this feels different to me, and I think part of that starts with you know the uncertainty SC has at QB. Uh, you know, in that uh, in that game back in 2016, we were playing later in the season. It was a night game. Uh, you know, after some early bumps, Essie was really rolling with Darnold. And, you know, I don't think Essie has quite uh, quite that momentum. Obviously, they've got some coming off the win uh, against Utah last week. But I think there's uh, there are some question marks, uh, more question marks there than what we saw in 2016. But I think defensively, Essie looked a lot better last week than they had in the first three weeks. Uh, their defensive line looked to step up, which, uh, which can always give you a scare. So I- I'm really excited. I think... I'm not quite sure how, you know, how many parallels you can truly draw between uh, 2016 and this week. But, you know, I think uh, this week provides for its own unique, intriguing matchup in itself. 
yeah, I just remember that SC game, seeing Porter Guskin there in that game. It was like, wow, that that is uh, that is what NFL talent looks like. And uh, I don't think the Huskies had really seen much of that going up against that defensively. Um, so it'll be interesting to see because no matter how they're playing, uh, those USC def- defenders are always um, always jump out a little bit. Scale of one to fired up. How uh, where you at here with with the Jacob Eason thing? Because um, after Cal, it kind of rose back down a little bit, but uh, it is quite the experience watching this guy. Yeah, he is. Uh, he is night and day from uh, from what we what we saw of Jake Browning the last couple of years, and uh, you know, it's just it, you know he's an alpha an alpha talent, a day one NFL prospect. Um, but the guys just got a swagger about him that, that Browning didn't have. And, you know, you don't, frankly, haven't seen a lot of on these UW teams, you know, we've had talent, but, uh, haven't necessarily had those, those alpha mentality type guys. And to have a guy like, uh, like number 10, Jacob Eason out there, uh, leading the offense, it gives you a ton of confidence that you can win, uh, any game against whoever you're playing at any time, anywhere, um, I just love his, his fearlessness. I mean, he made some throws against BYU last week that there's maybe two guys in the country that can make. I mean, that, that touchdown to Aaron Fuller was just unbelievable. He had a couple other throws that he just zipped in there. And, you know, frankly, anybody else throwing that ball gets picked off. But uh, he's fearless, and he's got the arm strength and the, and the swag to back it up. And he's been really fun to watch so far. And I think uh, I think against a team like SC, uh, a guy like this really steps up his levels of play and, uh, you know, shows up uh, from the first snap to the last. So I'm, I'm really excited to see him this Saturday against, uh, you know, in a, in a hostile environment for the Trojans and everybody's going to be fired up, you know, really a, a big, you know, really the first big matchup uh, on the season for us this year. So I'm, uh, I'm trying to enjoy him too, because of the, uh, the rate he's playing, I'm not sure we're going to see uh <laughs> We're going to see him in a Husky uniform in 2020, so we've uh, we've also got to enjoy it while it lasts. Yes, he's uh, he's here for a good time, not a long time. That is that is for sure. Um, you're the best exactly. hits. Uh, great analysis here. Can't wait to see you on Saturday. Uh, like I said, save me some fireball. We will uh, we will get after it. Um, yeah, go dogs, baby. Go dogs. Thanks for having me. Appreciate yep. it. Likewise. Peace.